0: If uh, you'll open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to reference a statement that the Apostle Paul makes in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, In verse 11, he says, Not that I speak from what? For I have learned, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I have learned to be content to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Um, The reason I asked Paul to read that passage, those two different moments in the life of the Apostle Peter, when you read in Matthew, you can read in Luke as well. uh, Peter is self-confident, got a lot of confidence. He's got a lot of confidence in Peter, in himself. He would say to the Lord that everybody else will deny you, but not me. And the Lord looked him in the eyes and so said, let me tell you what's going to happen, Peter, before the rooster crows. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. But Peter was living in his own confidence. He uh, had been with the Lord three years. He'd walked on water for just a little bit. Um, and he was, by all accounts, biblical accounts, he was the most confident. He, he was brash and he was bold. And and that very confident statement, it was a self-confident statement. It was a statement in the flesh. It was based upon what he thought he could do. Everybody else will deny you, but I won't. And Jesus said, yeah, you will. Three times before the rooster crows. And so if you know the story, he did in fact do that. Um, And it wasn't just Judas that betrayed The Lord, but all of the apostles ultimately did. They all ran in fear. Um, After the resurrection, you can go to John chapter 20. There's this picture, the same room that they had had the Lord's Supper the night that Jesus was arrested. It says, John writes in his gospel that they were gathered together in fear. So you have this group of individuals who were very brash and very confident and very bold. Also, if you know the story of Peter, when they came to arrest uh, Jesus, what did he do? He pulled out what is called an assassin's sword and cut off the servant of uh, Caiaphas. Caiaphas' servant cut his ear off. And Jesus would say to him, Peter, you don't know what spirit you're of. You don't know what spirit you have. So from that brash Peter, who'd walk on water for a little while, said, everybody else will deny you, but not me. He had an idea of how this deal was going to play out. Brought a sword to, you know, cut off. I can't imagine what that moment must have looked like. But then what happens? Jesus is arrested. He's convicted illegally. He's crucified. He's dead and he's buried. And so all these confident, at one point, confident men, men who in the very presence of Christ of the night of his betrayal would even talk about who would be the greatest among them. From this confident group of men who were sure that Jesus was going to come and make things right, now after his death and burial, they're in a room, the same room they would have the Lord's Supper, and they're gathered together for fear of the Jews. Their confidence had been shattered. And Jesus reappeared to them, and he said, Peace be with you. And then from that moment to the other moment that Paul uh, read, now we see a different confidence. We see a confidence from the day of Pentecost moving forward that his confidence, Peter's confidence wasn't in himself anymore. It had changed. Now his confidence was fueled by the Holy Spirit. Now his confidence came from the resurrected Lord. Now his confidence, his relationship with Christ changed on the other side of the cross. And so his confidence, he had spiritual confidence versus earthly confidence. Now you go to Philippians chapter one, the apostle Paul. And if you guys don't know this, uh, there are three letters in the new Testament, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. They're called the prison epistles. These are epistles letters that Paul wrote when he was a prisoner. He was a prisoner waiting to go to Rome. He he was Jewish, but he was also a Roman citizen. He had appealed to Caesar at what was his right to go and defend himself. And so during that process, it took several years, he was a prisoner and he wrote letters to churches that he'd had a relationship with. You can read about those missionary trips and those relationships, but he makes this statement. Now, I had just read one. He said, I have learned the secret, I have learned the secret to be content under any circumstance. Now back up chapter one, verse six, for I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in me will perfect it until the day of Christ. Verse seven, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment. And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're all partakers. You're all partakers of grace with me. So, uh, Paul, you can read about his conversion. Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus. He was very confident in who he was. He believed he would even talk about his own testimony in the third chapter of Philippians. But he was really confident. He thought he was doing the right thing. He was persecuting Christians, and he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And if you're familiar with the story, Jesus blinded him and said, Saul, Saul, why dost thou persecuteth me? And they had this conversation, and we had a conversion. God changed his heart and his spirit and his mind. And then Paul became confident spiritually rather than confident in his flesh or even in religion. Okay? So let's get personal. I can't speak for you. I I just cannot. I can only speak from my own experience and what I know to be true in life and relationship to God's holy word. But Christianity is a journey. And it's different for all of us. I don't know how many of you here are professing Christians. I I don't know. I don't know your Christian story. I, I don't know. But but here's what I do know that we all have in common. Um, We're men. We're in the flesh. We're sinners. And you can see uh, the evidence of our sin everywhere. Uh, and, And most of it is rooted because of our flesh in false confidence. False confidence. If you believe in spiritual warfare... Satan wants you to be confident in yourself, in your flesh. And from a very young age, we're fueled by our selfishness and our pride. And uh, we're just like Peter. Oh, everybody else would do it, but not me. I'm not going to do it. You know, I was in prison for a year and a half up there in Huntsville many years ago, 1982. And it was always amazing to me then. I was not a Christian. But I would hear, and I was, I listen, I did it. I'm not pointing a finger at anybody. You've done it, I've done it, all of us have done it. We'd say, well, you know, I might, I might do this, or I might have done it, but I would never do that. We have a, a sense of our own pride and our confidence in our own personal strength and the things that we're just quite sure. Well, you know, I, you'll do that, but I'll never do it. Now, I will tell you, if you believe in spiritual warfare, I want you to hang on here. The one thing that I'm sure of Is that in the reality of spiritual warfare, there is nothing that entices or excites Satan more than that. And the Bible says, and Peter would write, that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now the thing is, if you're a Christian, and you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But I am quite sure, in the realm of spiritual warfare, that Satan, as he's watching us, and he's observing us, and his attempt to destroy you and I, his desire to destroy you and I, I am quite sure that he just a bell rings when we say anything that says, oh, not me, I, not me. Well, he might do it or she might do it or they might do it, but I ain't going to do it. And I think that that is a rallying bell for Satan. I am convinced he said, we got a live one. We got one. We don't have to put a target on him. He just put the target on him in his flesh and his pride. And everybody here could make, if we're honest, we could look at ourselves and say, I've been there. I have lived in my pride and in my confidence, a false confidence, a confidence of the flesh. But so the reality is for the Christian now is if you have have experienced, you understand, you know, you believe, God has saved you. If you could, God has saved me. Now this journey then, God has saved me. I'm living with God. I'm a follower of Christ. I understand how he saved me. He revealed that to me uh, by the blood of his son, the sacrifice of his son, God saved me. And I believe that. I have faith in that. Okay, good. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew in chapter 13. He tells a, a parable about, seeds there's a farmer he's walking down the road and some seed falls beside the road and then and, and some in the thorns and, and the rocks and some in some good soil and, and he has to explain that and he says that seed that would fall in that, beside the road it's, the seed is the word of God and there's people that receive it with joy but he says but a little trouble just a little trouble just a little trouble comes along and Satan snatches that away. That's the seed that's beside the, in the rocky places and the thorns, the anxiety of life and riches overwhelm us. But then there's a good soil. So here's what has to happen in your Christian life where you could get to a point like the Apostle Paul. And you could say, I'm confident of this. Listen, listen, I, I, I'm sure of this. I have learned the secret to be content in every situation. And I don't care if you're a recovering alcoholic, drug addict, ex-convict, a, a, a lifelong church member. I don't care. Male, female, married, divorced, single, young, old, teenager. There is this place in our life where the flesh has to die and it's a lifelong journey and, and when that flesh dies our confidence changes it goes from the confidence of Peter not me to the confidence of Paul, who now is a prisoner say, I've learned the secret to be content in every situation. And then having said that, he said, I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you, will, he'll complete it until the day of Christ. Now how do you get there? How do I get there? How did Paul get there? That's what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. When you leave here this morning, I want you to be sure. I want you to get to have that answered. Listen, Two things, just you could go anywhere in scripture. How many of you are familiar with the story of Elijah? The prophet of Elijah. You can go to uh, 1 Kings, you get there, chapter 17 all the way through chapter 21. Great story. There was a time in his life he was already at odds with an ungodly queen, Jezebel and an ungodly king. They didn't like him. God gave him this wonderful prophetic ministry and he would pray that he understood there was going to be a famine in the land. And he would pray. And you know what? God sent him to Zarephath in Sidon. Right in the middle of Jezebel's territory. And a drought's coming. A famine's coming. And what happened was, you can read the story of Elijah where he had confidence, but then he didn't have Confidence. But God provided something. John the Baptist. You go to John the Baptist. You know John the Baptist. He's the cousin of Jesus. And he's baptizing uh, out there on the Jordan River. And he confidently says to the Pharisees, he said, you brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Pretty pretty strong statement, right? And, And... Jesus comes to him to be baptized, and he said, you come to me to be baptized? I, I'm not worthy to tie the, your, your shoes, man. You, I, I, and you come to be baptized by me? That's John then. But then John, in his confidence, confronting this evil king about a, 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 an incestuous, terrible, sexually immoral relationship with, with a daughter-in-law, this king has him put in jail. And so the confident John while he's in jail all of a sudden he's not confident anymore. He's not sure anymore. He's like Peter. He's like listen. He says he said some of his disciples to Jesus and he said, "I need to know something. Are you really the one? Are you really? This was his cousin. He had leapt in his mother's womb with Elizabeth when Mary and Elizabeth came together. He had been confident But now he's in prison. Now he's in jail. Now he knows who this evil king is. And all of a sudden, his confidence is shaken. Are you really him? And Jesus gives him an answer. Now, here's where it gets personal, folks. Again, I don't know your story. I don't know where you're at with the Lord. But what I do know is that you'll waver. There'll be times in your life... When your confidence and your faith is strong, and there'll be other times you will cry out and 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 you will wonder, Where are you, God? What's going on here? I don't understand this. This is overwhelming. I heard preachers say you could name it and claim it. I've heard preachers say all you had to do was confess it. And you know what? It's not working. It's getting worse. It's not good. It's overwhelming. Where are you? Jeremiah said it. He said, God, you've become like a deceptive stream to me. Curse me the day I was born. John said it. Are you really the one? Elijah, after his great victory over the prophets of Baal, he was still scared of Jezebel. And he ran and he hid. And you could just go on and on. But what about you? And I'm going to tell you, we have a great youth ministry here, and I think about these teenagers, and they've been given a great life, and their parents have sheltered them and loved them. And we meet here, and they sit there on Wednesday nights, and we eat a meal, and they have activity. There's about, we might have 15, we might have 25. We've developed a great relationship with them, and I look at them, and I just know they, their parents have sheltered them and loved them and nurtured them, and they've just blessed them. But I know what's ahead of them, I know. I can tell you, tra- difficulty, tragedy, financial difficulty, friendships, broken friendships, maybe divorce, disease. Jesus said, in this life, you're going to have a lot of tribulation. He said, but you don't have, I've overcome the world, but the reality is that you and I have to live somewhere between, okay, I have faith and I'm confident and I know and I believe to are you really the one? Are you really the one? Really? Because this still ain't working out for me. I've got a little trouble. And Satan's come to take this away from me. And I don't feel confident. But now Peter's over here, Paul's over here, and he said, I've learned the secret. Now church, this is what I want you to hear. I have learned the secret. Well, if you want to know a secret, the only secret that's worth knowing is the secret that Paul's going to reveal through the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can live just like Paul, no matter the circumstances in your life, you can say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if I go on living, I'll serve him. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances are in my life. Even in prison, the gospel is being progressed. Members of the praetorian guard are being converted. It's not about me. It's not about my circumstances. It's about my relationship with God. And my confidence is going to be spiritual confidence in him and not false confidence in me. Now, that's a nice truth. And it's one way to say it, but then the great thing about Scripture, is, see, you would say that, that's the guy I want to be. I want to be the guy that knows what it is to be content in every situation and circumstances. I want to be that guy. And so, you know, what do I do? I go to church, and I pray, and I read my Bible, and I pray. We do all those things, and it still ain't working for you. And in your own strength, you try to overcome the addiction or the alcohol or the profanity or the pornography or the uh, whatever it is, the dying flesh, the envy, the pride, the anger. And you're just like Paul in Romans 7, why do I do the very thing that I don't want to do? The good that I would do, I find that I cannot do. I find then that the principle of evil dwells within me, the one who wishes, wishes to do good. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of You've been there? And Paul says, I've learned the secret to be content in every circumstance. And this is what it is. We're only going one step this morning. This is going to be quick. He makes that at the end of the letter. The statement that the rest of the letter is about. This statement, again, for I'm confident of this very thing. Paul would say, he would go in the third chapter, I was born of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, a Hebrew as to the word of God without flaw, but I count it all rubbish. I've learned the secret to be content in every circumstance. And then as he started the letter, and the entire letter is the proof of this statement. It's the learning of this statement. He said, I've learned. Now church, I want you to learn something this morning. I want you to learn what Paul had learned. And I want you to learn it biblically and spiritually and truthfully so that you can't walk out of this building and ever have to live in the circumstances again. Well, I thought Jesus, you know, the preacher said, if I will just name it and claim it, and the preacher said, listen, if I just pray, and the Bible says, my cup runneth over. And the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the Bible said, and you know all those wonderful verses, and then the deal comes crashing down. Where are you, God? You become like a deceptive stream to me are you really the one so church we better learn this so not does he just make the statement he gives you the recipe mm-hmm. now here's what am we going to catch I'm doing this every, as long as it takes over the next several weeks but here's number one. So I, he makes a statement. I've learned the secret to be content in every circumstance. Then in verse 6, I'm confident of this very thing. Not Peter's confidence. Not Paul's confidence on the road to Damascus. But he said, I'm confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And, but here's how. If you, had, if you were writing down a great recipe... I thought about this. You guys don't know Ay over here. She's wearing a red hat, and and uh, she makes the best cake. Of no, I don't, and I don't want to insult anybody else. But this woman makes a cake. It weighs seven point three pounds. I don't know how you put twenty-eight sticks of butter in it or something. I don't know. She said the secret is butter and sugar. I think right. But if she ever makes you a cake, it'll make you sin. I don't want to share it (laughs) and my favorite is Italian cream what do you call Italian cream cake Italian cream and but she has a recipe and it's worked for her and it's just worked for her and she knows how to do it and if you ever get a pea you won't get one from me because I ain't sharing it it's my sin it's my burden of sin but if you're ever lucky enough to get one take your time eating it it's that good. But she has a tried and true recipe. Here it is. Here's the recipe. Here's the recipe. I'm, Learn the secret to be content in every circumstance. I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work and you will perfect it until the day of Christ. I don't know where you're at in your addiction. And if you're not an addict, I don't know where you're in in your daily sin and your daily pride. But here's what I do know. Here's the the confidence of this very thing that that God, no matter what's happening in my life, that, that, that the one who began a good work in me will perfect it. He's perfecting it. He's perfecting it in my addiction. He's perfecting it in my pride. He's perfecting it in my selfishness. And here's step one. It's only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. But why? Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. Let me tell you something. Church, convict, addict, sinner. Everybody here is a partaker of something. The word partaker means in the Greek, uh, it's uh, uh, semetikon. Somet- uh, Semetikonis, semetikon, it has different meaning, but it means... A partner associated with something where there's, there's partnership. And there's an association and it's in perfect symmetry. Symmetricone. So you are, I'm listen, you are all symmetricone partakers of grace with me. Now, everybody in here has been a partner associated where there was perfect symmetry with somebody the trap house, the dope house, the beer joint, the strip joint, every one of you. You've been a partaker, an associated in symmetry partner with somebody or something. You partaking of something that is based upon a a false confidence, a destructive flesh, a strong earthly will that will destroy you. Now you're in symmetricone at the house of hope, if that's where you're at. I was in symmetricone in the Texas Department of Corrections. I was a partaker. But here's a partaker of something. Everybody here is partaking of their own pride. You may, and it doesn't have to be something as flagrantly obvious as drug and addiction and alcohol, but everybody here is partaking of something. You're, you're in perfect symmetry associated with partnership, and the biggest problem is most of us are in symmetrical with our, our flesh. Sometimes we give Satan way too much credit. He don't have to work in this flat. You just leave us to our own devices. He knew how to appeal to Eve and he knows how to appeal to you. Because we're partakers of something. Now, guys, if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, you need to get this out of the house of hope. This church needs to get it in this church. You can do this with your family. You can do an assessment. What is this family partaking of? What are they in symmetrical? What, what are they associating and in partnership and working in symmetry? My marriage is, in, is partaking of this. My workplace is partaking of this. My church. Churches are sometimes the worst. Paul would write in Romans 10 and 1. He said, my prayer is for the Jews, God's people, because they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with righteousness because they're trying to establish their own. You know what the single biggest problem in in the body of Christ is? The body of Christ is in uh, they're partakers of something, and it appears to be a zeal of God, but it's not a partaker of grace. And so a church can be doing all kinds of wonderful programs and, and it appears like they're doing this. And, you know, Jesus said it's really easy to help people that, that are like you. You want the test? You start helping your enemies. You start loving your enemies. He said it on the Sermon on the Mount. But we, even a church, you say, well, they look pretty good. But when you start hearing words about the things that they do and that we do this and I do this and this is what's happening over here. We have this food pantry, or we have this women's ministry, or we have this, or whatever it is, that's fine. Satan loves us being business, uh, busy in our own kingdom, our kingdom, not his kingdom, but we'll just, we'll misalign that. We think it's because it's under the auspice of a church and a name that there's kingdom stuff going on here. But the kingdom stuff, many times, is the kingdom of myself and not his. It's not, God has done this. God has given us this. God God has provided this. Is this what we do it? And you can see in a church people being partakers of something, but it's not grace. It's disguised as religion, but it's not grace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every church has some of it. Every family may have some of it. Every one of us may have something of it. But guys here, I'm going to tell you, if you don't get this out of the house of hope, you'll never get it. If you don't get this out of the word of hope, you'll never get it. And when you start to learn something, you want to be, how many of you want to know and learn the secret to be content in every situation? Either you do or you don't. I got all the addicts, now colleagues over here, church members not. <laughs> How many of you could say before the Lord, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in me will complete it until the day of Christ? Okay, maybe you're confident of that. How did he do it? First thing got to happen, guys. Who are you partaking with? Who are you in symmetry, partnership associated with? If you're going to continue to be, listen, you're either partakers of grace or you're partakers of something else. My father is in the early stages of dementia. I was in San Antonio this week. It's all happened very quickly. I was at my wits end. I've seen a very strong and capable, intelligent man reduced to a child who can't tend to himself. And I was at my wits end. I was at the table. I know it's not my father anymore. And we're in the middle of a storm in San Antonio. I saw the provision of God's grace. Our electricity never went out. The water never stopped flowing. I had a lot to be thankful for. Not understanding how could this be happening. My dad was a consultant for IBM for many years. Brilliant man. He couldn't string sentences together. He's obsessed over it. He's wearing a diaper. He he. It's terrible. He's using profanity. I never heard him use profanity. I'm sitting at the table, and we're in the middle of this storm, and I don't know what we're going to have. I've got a sister in San Antonio and a brother in Lampasas, and my father falling apart. And I get a phone call at 2.10. I was trying to find a walker for him. He he had a cane, and when they're at that age, they fall, their dead weight. And... I had took me an hour to get him from the truck out of when I picked him up to the hospital. He had fallen and it's wearing an ice storm and all he had was a church robe on or a hospital robe. And he, we just it took an hour to get him in the house and I was praying, Lord help me, help me, help me, help me. There's some guys feeding cattle on the other side. I wonder if they could if I could just get somebody here. And I was desperate. I thought I was gonna drop him and then what am I gonna do? And and, 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 and it's freezing. And I'm just praying and I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying. And we got him in the house. Over the next two days, he got stuck on a commode and, and he, couldn't, he couldn't put a diaper on. They're very competitive. Now, I don't think this is not about me. But I'm going to tell you, so I'm at my wit's end and I'm praying. And I get a phone call, 210, on Thursday afternoon. And the long lost cousin, she goes, listen, you okay? In my darkest moment. She goes. We got a walker for you. Her and her husband drove in this ice storm. Brought me a walk. That walker was a godsend. And they sat there in the living room, and my dad was there, and not very coherent. And let me tell you something, brothers. It was just the spirit of God. You know why I mention them? Because they're partakers of grace. Paul writes the Corinthians. He said, "Listen, bad company corrupts good morals." you'll never know the secret of contentment until you start partnering with partakers of grace. Amen. Are you going back home? Are you going back out in that neighborhood? And you're going with all the people that are partaking of something, but it ain't grace? You're going to end right up either. Let me tell you what are going to end up. You're going to end up in a penitentiary. You're going to end up in a hospital. Or you're going to end up dead. 'cause that's all any partaker of anything else other than grace that's all they've got headed that's it that's all Amen. but it was a partaker of grace and I got many phone calls from people in this congregation it always at the right moment partakers of grace and you will never have the confidence that Jesus Christ and God is working his perfect will so that you can absolutely be sure, I'm confident in this very thing that he who began a good work in me, Jesus being the author and perfecter of faith, Hebrews 12, that I'm confident of this very thing, no matter what my circumstances are, if I'm in the, if I'm in the residential treatment facility, if I'm hurting and I'm struggling and all the things, I can be sure that he who began a good work in me me were perfected until the day of Christ because what I have done in my heart, it's only right for me to say this because in my heart, God has led me to a decision. I only want to be with people who are partakers of grace. You can't do both. You can't run the street and, and, and run a game on God with church. You can't do it. He's not having any of it. He don't want lukewarm. Your flesh wants to run with the dogs and the addicts and the alcoholics and the flesh mongers and all that stuff. And there's something in conflict. And Satan's serving up a dish. You can't trust God. That's what he told Eve. Did, she, did he really say that? Eve? Did he really say that you can't eat this fruit? Oh, yeah, he did. But she saw it. And she became a partaker of her flesh and her pride and her desire. The eyes of The, the desires of the eyes cannot be satisfied. You'll never have contentment. You'll never have spiritual confidence. Peter's confidence was in himself. But on the day of Pentecost, Peter's confidence. He said, well, they told him, say, you can't speak this man's name. Don't you know who? Caiaphas was there. Caiaphas knew that's that Peter who cut off my servant's ear. And now he sees him. On the other side of Jesus, the other side of the the tomb, the other side of the cross, they said, don't you go out and talk in his name anymore. And Peter said, how can I do anything? We can't do anything else. And it wasn't everybody else will deny you, but not me. No, 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 no. It was the confidence that came from, you know what? I have been a partaker of grace. I am in partnership with grace. I'm associated with grace I'm in symmetry with grace. I can tell you, I can look at every member of the church right here on this side of the street. I can look at every one of them, every single one of them, every one of them, and tell you, Lisa King, she's a partaker of grace. Every one of them, Kalen Briggs, Every one of these people are partakers of grace, every one of them. That's not always the way it is in churches. But every one of these people are partakers, and I can prove it. I, well, God will prove it. I don't have to prove it. So step number one, and we're going to end here. If you want to learn the secret to be content in every circumstance, and you want to be confident that, th- that this very thing, that God who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ, that's a great statement, by the way. You know when the day of Christ is? All he's saying, he said, "God will never stop." Never stop perfecting the work that he began in you until the son returns. Mm -hmm. We don't know when that's going to be. I don't believe in coincidence. I don't. My wife needs to know that I'm a partaker of grace. We need to be in partnership with that. Do you know when Jesus Christ became our partner and a partaker in the ministry of grace with us. I mentioned it this morning in the class. It wasn't available until this moment when he was on the cross and his enemies had mocked him and spit upon him and driven a thorn of there's a, a crown of thorns up there, a guy from this church made him. You can't even pick that up without being stuck. And so it had been rammed on his head, and he'd been nailed to the cross. And you and I became, we could become partakers of grace. Mm-hmm. When Jesus looked out and said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Now, two people got it a convict on the cross became a partaker of grace. We know that. A Roman centurion became a partaker of grace. Surely this man was the son of God. Unfortunately, churches are full of people. Some of them are not part they're partakers of something but not grace. But I can't This is between you, Paul, in the same letter said, let let each each one of you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But it's based upon this. If you want that assurance, if you want that confidence, ask yourself. Mm -hmm. In your heart, are you a partaker of grace? Have you partnered with people that are partakers of grace? Have you? Some hard lessons here. But you'll never have the confidence, the spiritual confidence that God wants you to have until you understand that first part of the recipe. I'm going to partner and be in symmetry and associate with people that are partakers of grace. That's a hard lesson. Jesus says, unless you put me before your mother and your father and your husband and your children, it doesn't matter. You'll have no part of me. It's a hard lesson. So I'm going to leave you with that this morning. I want you to really ask yourself, do I want this kind of confidence? Mm-hmm. Yes, Lord. Do, do, do I want to learn it? There's many things to learn. We're, we're starting here this whole series. We're going to just go verse by verse because the recipe is right there. But it begins with that. Jesus is the, He, he is. You, you, have, you cannot partake with grace without Him. And then you better make a decision. Who are you going to partner with? Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to learn. Help us to learn from your Son. Help us to learn from your word. Help us to learn from your spirit. Create in us, Father, as you are working in our lives, Father, the confidence that comes from the assurance that no matter what the circumstances are in my life, that you have given me this wonderful gift. And that that we will be, and we are, and we can be a partaker of grace. We want to be in partnership with you, Father, because of your grace. And the name of your grace is the name of our grace, and the name of that grace is Jesus Christ. It's in his pure and holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen.